right, well, good morning, everyone. As I mentioned earlier, my name is David, and my claim to fame around here is that I go to church here. I am a son and a member of this house, and I love Elevation Church. I have been forever changed by this church and its ministries, and I love each and every one of you as our church family. I can't wait till we can all get together again in person and just celebrate all that God has done in our church during this time. And of course, none of that would be possible without our lead pastors, our founding pastors, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen Taylor. And now they're not here today, but I think they're watching online. So would you guys join me in just giving them some love that they can hear through the thing. There we go. Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen, I love you guys so, so much. I'm forever grateful for what you've done in my life. And I think the thing that I've been most thankful for during this crazy year of 2020 about our pastors is just how they've leaned in to the difficulty, to the unknown, to lead our church during this time when it's never been more challenging to lead a church. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for that and for all that you've done for all of us. We love you guys. I also would be totally out of line and probably in trouble and sleeping outside tonight if I didn't talk about my incredible wife, Brittany. Brittany, who was amazing. She deserves some love, too. There we go. Brittany, who, if you don't know, was literally the one standing here right about 10 minutes ago leading worship so beautifully. That's my wife, Brittany. She is amazing. You are the second best thing to ever happen to me, second only to my salvation. I love you so, so much. Thank you for putting up with me and letting me sleep inside most nights. You're the best. I love you, baby. All right. Well, today we're continuing on in our series called Realignment. I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed this series. We had the first couple weeks by Pastor Daniel. Then two weeks ago, Pastor Tony Gilmore from the St. Louis Dream Center spoke. And last weekend, Bishop Antoine shared from Equation Church. And so I feel like I have some big shoes to fill today. So I'm going to do my best to stand on the shoulders of some giants of the faith and talk today about Ephesians 4, because this realignment series is all about the book of Ephesians. And our theme verses come out of Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. In the New Living Translation, the Bible says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say, I am God's masterpiece. There we go. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And now Paul pretty much lays out the whole thing here in these verses, right? That God loved us and he saved us by grace through faith, by grace through faith when we believed and there's nothing we can do to deserve it or earn it. And because of that, we have a privileged position as believers. And now it's not a position that makes us better than anyone else. It's a gift. It's a position that's available to everyone, right? God makes it readily available to everyone. But as those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and have that privileged position, we have a responsibility to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today is how as Christians do we bring about the kingdom of God here on earth? What is God calling each and every one of us to do? And one of the things I love so much about our theme verse and about what Pastor Tony talked about a couple weeks ago is the idea, the concept, the spiritual truth that we are God's masterpieces. Now, one of the reasons I think this means so much to me is whenever God was creating me, he skipped all artistic talent. I mean the whole gamut, all of it. I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't sculpt, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't act, I can't play an instrument. It's in fact one of the things that I actually enjoy about socially distant church. Maybe the only thing I enjoy about it is that I can sing a little bit louder and not have to worry about ruining the worship experience of the people next to me because I'm such a bad singer. And so 
I am really bad at art. And growing up, it was always a source of pain and frustration for me because you can't really avoid doing those things in school, right? And it was embarrassing and painful and just frustrating. Um, and so I really tried to avoid those things my whole life because while you know my peers would be painting a perfect replica of the Mona Lisa or playing Beethoven, I'd be like playing chopsticks out of key and drawing in stick figures. In fact, if you asked me to draw something here today, I would still have to use stick figures. Like I haven't gotten better. This isn't a redemptive story about my artistic talent. That's not where we're going today. I'm in the same place artistically as I was then. So that lasted pretty much all my way through high school until my junior year of high school. I decided to take the one college level credit class I took my whole high school career, which was AP Art History. And you're probably thinking to yourself, David, why in the world would you take your hardest high school class about a subject that has caused you nothing but pain and suffering? And the answer, like the reason I did most things in high school is I did it because of a girl, right? And now, <laughs> Yeah, thankfully that didn't work out because God also didn't give me much talent in the being smooth area. But <laughs> what <laughs> but what did happen from taking that class is it gave me a real appreciation and love for art. Like I said, I didn't get any better at it, but now I really do love art and artistic expression to the point where if I can go by myself to a museum or a gallery and just be in the right headspace, it's one of the quickest ways for me to enter into the presence of God. So I love art, I love this idea that we're God's masterpieces, but now I also realize that it's not fair to you guys, for everyone watching at home, for me to just talk about how bad I am at art, right? Showing is way more fun than telling. So under this, I have what I would consider to be my artistic masterpiece. It's something that has sat in my mom's basement because she is a lovely and kind woman for like 10 to 12 years. And so this is my artistic masterpiece. And guys, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh. This is it. This is the whole thing. This is the whole artistic masterpiece. If you can't see it, if you don't know what it is, that's because it's horrible. I know, be really impressed. So this is a building, a decrepit building that I don't exactly know or remember why I made it. I think it had something to do with Halloween. But this is it. This is my masterpiece. So it's not too hard to understand why I am so grateful, so thankful that I am not in charge of being the master, the creator, the artist in my own life, right? That God is in charge of turning me into his masterpiece and I am not. And I think you guys are probably also glad that you're not David's masterpieces, you are God's <laughs> masterpieces, right? And so as we talk today about Ephesians 4, I want to keep this idea, this concept that we are God's masterpieces kind of at the forefront and that as his masterpieces, he has certain things for us to do to usher in the kingdom of God. So let's get started in Ephesians 4 verse 1, where Paul writes, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, remember Paul is in prison as he's writing this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, there's three specific things I want to point out about this verse. The first thing is the very first word that Paul says, therefore. It's a really important verse in the whole book of Ephesians because this is where Paul transitions us from the theme of the first half, the first three chapters of Ephesians, to the theme of what the last half, the last three chapters of Ephesians is going to be about. The first half is all about what God has done for us, right? Like we read in Ephesians 2, he saved us by grace through faith when we believe that we can't earn it or deserve it. And because of that, therefore, because of what God has done for us, therefore, there are things that we are called to do. 
So Paul continues, therefore I beg you. Other translations of the Bible will say plead or urge or beseech. Now I don't know about you, but I don't spend a lot of time in my life in 2020 as an adult begging or pleading or urging with people. I don't remember the last time I beseeched someone. It's been a real long time. I don't know about you guys. But so when I think of those words, I often think of when I was a kid and it was Christmas time or time for my birthday, and I'd beg and plead with my parents to get me something. You know, I'd promise to make good grades or score the winning goal or not annoy my sister for like at least five whole minutes if they would get me that thing that I really, really wanted. It's kind of how I feel now, actually, about sports, where in my prayer time with God, I'm really tempted to be like, God, if you'll just give us sports back, if we can just have football and fantasy football, I promise to not sin for like a whole year. Now, it seems like we're going to get baseball back this week, so I might be on the hook for that prayer. So if anyone has any tips about how to be perfect and not sin, will you let me know? I don't want to renege on that promise to God. But no, and so when you were begging for those things as kids, right, and you got what you wanted, it was so exciting. It was euphoric. You were ecstatic. You had gotten exactly what you wanted. Your life was complete in that moment. Or if you didn't get it, you were really disappointed and hurt, right? And I think in some ways, those are the same stakes that we have right now with God and with our spiritual leaders, our pastors, that if we can get a hold of, if we can implement and walk out what Paul is begging us to do here in Ephesians 4.1, we can make God in some small way feel like that. When we get it, we can make our pastors feel like that. And I don't know about you, but for my God who has given me so much, I'd like to bring him joy in any way that I can. And what Paul is begging us to do here is he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And if you're anything like me, when you read that, when you hear that verse, I feel anxious. It feels like there is this bar out there, there are these goals, these certain things I'm supposed to be doing and live up to that I don't know if I am. I don't know how to get there. I feel pressure, I feel anxiety. But when I do that, if you do that, what we're forgetting is what Paul wrote about before the therefore, right? That Paul wrote Ephesians in a very specific reason for a very specific purpose. That what God did for us, the love, the gift he's given us that we cannot earn comes way before is so much before what we're supposed to do because of God, right? And so when we remember what God's done for us, how far he came in the form of Jesus Christ from on high, on heaven, to where we are to save us from our sin and our brokenness, when we remember that, the pressure goes away, at least it does for me, because I don't want to serve God out of a sense of obligation. I want to do it out of a sense of gratitude because of how much he has done for me. I love God. I want to live my life according to what he's calling me to do because he first loved me, right? We don't serve God so he will love us. That's not what's at stake for us when we try to lead a life worthy of our calling. It's not God's love. It's not our salvation. It's not its grace and his mercy. We have that. Full stop, we have that. What is at stake is us doing what he's calling us to do, ultimately because it's what's best for us, living in the fullness of what God has for us, and also because there are people in the world who desperately need to see the love of God. And it is up to us as Christians who lead a life worthy of our calling to show them that here on earth. I'm willing to bet that however you came into a relationship with Christ, if you would consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, that it involved people. Now, probably some people on the good side and some people on the bad side, right? Christians leading a life worthy of their calling and not. But that those ones who were, those Christians who were doing their best to serve God and show you God were integral into you entering into that relationship with God for yourself. I know that's the case for me. And it's our responsibility to usher in the kingdom of God and be that for other people, right? To show people God's love. Because just like an incredible work of art is not meant to sit in a basement gathering dust, mine is meant to sit in a basement gathering dust or maybe be destroyed, but 
great works of art are not meant to do that. They're meant to be on display. And it's the same for us as God's masterpieces, that we are called to be on display for the world to see. Not for our own glory, not for our own goodness, but because God, or because people desperately need to see God and they have to see it through us. So masterpieces are meant to be on display. And if we aren't doing that, if we take what God has done for us, what's in the first half of Ephesians, his love, his goodness, salvation, and just keep that to ourselves. We don't attempt to walk it out in our lives. We are out of alignment with the word of God. Full stop, right? We are out of alignment. Our salvation's not at stake. Our, his love's not at stake, but we are out of alignment with what he's calling us to do. And the great news is to get in alignment with this, all you have to do is start trying again, right? It's one of the easiest ways to get back in alignment with God is you just get out there and start attempting to lead a life worthy of your calling. And I know you're probably saying, but what does that mean, David? How do I lead a life worthy of my calling? And luckily, Paul doesn't leave us hanging too much. We're in Ephesians 4.2. He begins to dig in to how we can live a life worthy of our calling. What are the characteristics that a Christian is supposed to have? Because on an individual level, we all have different callings, right? I'm not called to be a worship leader or an artist, obviously, right? But people who are called to those things maybe aren't called to what I'm supposed to do. But we have certain things that are similar, the same things that we're all called to do as Christians as the body of Christ. So let's look at Ephesians 4. To, where Paul continues, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So Paul begins to tell us, show us how we're supposed to act like a Christian, right? Be humble, be gentle, be patient, have love. But he's actually doing something here that I think is a lot more interesting. He's going a little bit deeper because in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, when Jesus is talking about himself, he says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Jesus describes himself as humble and gentle. And that's the very first thing Paul tells us to be is humble and gentle. So Paul is really telling us that as Christians, the way we lead a life worthy of our calling, what we're called to do is simply be like Jesus. Now, hopefully, if you're a Christian, that's not coming as a surprise to you, right? It's in the name. Christians, right? Followers of Christ. It's not that complicated. It's hard to accomplish, but it's not that complicated to understand that we have to act like Jesus. We have to live like Jesus if we're to lead a life worthy of our calling. And one of the points from that verse that I think is so, so important is that humility aspect. Is that as Christians, we have to live our lives with humility. And the important part there is because the humble Christian doesn't take credit for what God has done, right? We never forget how far God came in the form of Jesus on high to save us. So when you remember that, when you keep that at the forefront of your mind, you can't take credit for what God has done in your life. It's a quote by Brennan Manning from a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, which has been one of the most impactful books in my walk with God, where he says this, as the smart man knows he is stupid, so the awake Christian knows he is a ragamuffin. In other words, how a wise person, a smart person, knows that they don't know everything, right? You can be an expert in one field and not in the other. So an awake Christian, a Christian who is in alignment with the word of God, knows that we are flawed, knows that everything good we have in our lives is because of what God has given us, right? We can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We are dependent and reliant on God for everything. And for me, that's so important in keeping myself humble. Because the way I like to look at it is, and when I think of myself as God's masterpiece, I think I'm a painting. You might envision it, you're a sculpture, you're a watercolor, whatever you want to be, it can be different. But I'm a painting, that's me. And on the left side of my painting is all my sin, all my brokenness, all my pain, everything before God, before Jesus, right? And in the middle of that thing is Jesus. Just in the middle of my painting is Jesus. And on the right side is me now, still imperfect, still in need of God, 
but redeemed and saved, right? And so when people look at me as God's masterpiece, people look at me trying to represent God, trying to be on display. They should see Jesus, they shouldn't see me, right? And I'm not trying to present a version of myself that is perfect, a version of myself that is just holier than thou and super righteous and all of that, no. I'm a ragamuffin, right? I know where I was before God. I know how far he came to get me. So when we remember that, we're able to stay humble. Because the thing about an incredible work of art, an artistic masterpiece, is they're on display, but no one ever walks up to a painting and is like, painting, you're so good, how did you do it? You're so amazing, right? What paintings do, what masterful works of art do, is they point and give credit to the talent, to the skill of the one who made them. And it's the same thing for us as God's masterpieces, that we're supposed to point back to God and back to Jesus and his love and his goodness, right? And the only way that we can do that is with humility and by living a life that Jesus lived, trying to be like Jesus. We have to reflect our creator. That's what we're called to do. You know, one of my favorite interactions I have with Pastor Daniel, he might not even know it, but almost every week, after I, he preaches and I see him outside, I'll say something along the lines of, great sermon pastor, you know, great word, and he'll always say, you know, thank you, and then give the credit back to God in some way. I said that in first service, and so I had to live up to that after first service too, so I guess I do that now too. But it's a perfect example that I love for Pastor Daniel where it's super small, it's a really small interaction, but that he understands that God gets the glory for every message Pastor Daniel ever preaches, right? God gets the glory for anything good that we ever do in our lives that impacts another person. It all goes back to God because as God's masterpieces, as his body, his hands and feet here on earth, that's our job. Our job isn't to get ourselves glory, to bring glory and riches and stuff for ourselves. It's to give everything back to God. And the only way we do that is with humility. And I think that's one thing that I see that's lacking a lot these days, both in the church and outside of the church, is humility and humble people who are acting like Jesus. You know, I think we've gotten such a bad rap in church for not having humility that when unsaved people, unchurched people come to church, they feel like they're in just this place where it's all saints, right? Where they don't fit in. There's this quote about church that I love that it's been attributed to about 2,500 different people over the church's history. So I don't know who said it first, just know it wasn't me, right? Where the quote goes, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Now we are God's masterpieces. We are incredible works of art. But our job when people walk into church, when they walk into Elevation Church, is not for us to pretend to be so much holier and more righteous than they are. It's to show them with our lives, with how we act, with what God has painted in our masterpiece that we were broken. We were in bondage. We were in need of God and he came and saved us. And the same thing can be true for them, right? So that's what we're called to do, is we have to be masterpieces, God's masterpieces that are on display for the world to see, living like Jesus with humility, so that we ultimately reflect and point people back to God. Now let's go to Ephesians 4 verses 3 through 6. The Bible says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So Paul continues to tell us what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to lead a life worthy of our calling, and what he calls us to. What he says is so important in trying to do that is unity. And he gives us a list of the things we're supposed to be united in, right? The spirit, 
There's one body, there's one God, there's one hope, which is Jesus, there's one God. Those are the things that we are called to be united in. We are called to have unity as the body of Christ, as Christians. But how often do we see ourselves being divided by things that aren't on that list, by the things that there are multiples of? It's important to see what Paul says there's one of, but also what he doesn't say there's one of. He doesn't say there's one nation. He doesn't say there's one generation. He doesn't say there's one political party, right? The things that there are a multitude of have to go so far lower on our level of the things that are important to us that they can never go and compete with the things that we are called to be united in and that there is that one of. Henrietta Mears put it this way in her book, What the Bible is All About. When we know, or sorry, excuse me, we know that our spiritual lives affect our social lives. But many turn that around and attempt to create a social life that will in turn create a spiritual life. This cannot be. When we are in right relation to God, we will be in proper relation to people. In other words, when we are in proper alignment to God, we will be in proper alignment to people. And it's so, so important that we see this. Hey, that's a Pastor Daniel quote. You gotta see this, it's so, so important. Anyway, <laughs> you can tell I've been impacted by Pastor Daniel's ministry because I talk just like him. So it's important that we see that those things that they are one of is what we have to be united about and everything else has to be so much less important. We can't be gatekeepers to the love of God, to transformational relationships with Jesus because the message that we give to the world is that they have to have these other social beliefs in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Right? There is nothing in the Bible that says that you have to be from a certain political party to be a Christian. There is nothing that says that you have to be from a certain nation, you have to have a certain lifestyle. It's not in there. Right? Full stop, we are called to bring people into transformation relationships with Christ, but so much what I see online, so much what we see on social media and people's lives is trying to gatekeep the love of God and being a Christian because people don't make those same social choices that we make or that you make. But that's not what the Word of God says. We are called to be united in the things that there are one of, and everything else is supposed to fall by the wayside. The way I like to look at it is, is if we're all paintings, you know, as God's masterpieces, we're all a museum or a gallery and we're hanging on the wall, and you walk in and there's one that's out of alignment, one that's crooked, one that's off center, guess which one people see first when they walk in? It's the one that's out of alignment, right? It's the one that's crooked on the wall. And it's the same way when people outside of the church look at the church today, right? And whether that's fair or right or not, the people who are getting you know, publicity and news in the church are the ones who are out of alignment, right? The people who say the things politically, the people who are putting the stuff out on Facebook. And non-Christians see that and think, that's not for me, right? Even though the rest of us may be doing things right, you may be doing incredibly well. You may be perfectly in alignment with God, which is awesome, but if you aren't, you've gotta get in alignment with God. You've gotta get unified about the things of God with the rest of us in the church because the world is looking at us and we need them to see a united body of Christ. You know, with a great artist who could work in a bunch of different mediums, do a bunch of different pieces of art, if you look at their collective work, you begin to see a theme. You begin to see a cohesive story of their talent, of the things they're interested in, the time period they were in. And it's the same way that we're supposed to be as God's collective work, as the Creator's collective work, as we are called to tell a cohesive story about the love of God. God's story is about one thing, and as his masterpieces, we have to come together to tell that story that is simply about the love of God and him being desperately, madly in love with people and wanting to bring them into transformational relationships with him. And when we aren't doing that, when we aren't united, when we aren't unified, when we aren't telling that story, we are failing as the church and as the body of Christ.
We have to be in alignment. We have to be unified, all of us together, to tell that one cohesive story. If people walk into the churches of God, if they just walk into an online message room or whatever where Christians are supposed to be there, and we are not united, we are failing those people. We are failing in what God is calling us to do, to lead a life worthy of our calling. Because we are God's masterpieces on display for the world to see. We have to be living a life like Jesus, right, so that people will see him, so that we reflect the love and the goodness of the creator. And ultimately, to tell a cohesive story of the work of God, of God's life work, which is in each and every one of us as Christians, as those who have been saved and redeemed from our position of privilege to usher in the kingdom of God. It's all about love, guys. It's all about being united in the things that there are one of. And when we fail to do that, we're failing in what God's calling us to do. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who are listening to this that are probably like me and how I felt this week leading up to this, actually, where I kept kind of asking God to not make me do this, <laughs> to pick somebody else, like Bishop Antoine talked about last week, actually, where there are so many things in my life and my past that I feel disqualify me from being used by God, right? My sin, my history, the people I've hurt, who I've been hurt by, that make me feel like I shouldn't be up here, that I shouldn't be on display, right? That I'm not God's masterpiece. But the truth is that that's exactly why God uses us. Because the more God uses broken people, the more it points to his glory and his goodness. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at this book, the inspired word of God that we call the Bible, because it is littered with stories of people who were broken, probably more broken and messed up than me and you are, that God used anyway. Abraham was old, way too old to have a kid. Like, that's just nasty what Abraham was doing, right? Like, he was way too old to have a kid. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. David was an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. God used him anyway. The disciples fell asleep while they were praying. We've all been there, right? Now, for us, it didn't lead to Jesus being arrested, but I'm glad that God used him anyway and built his church on the disciples. Timothy had an ulcer. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians and so much of the New Testament, was a bigot who killed Christians before God transformed his life. And Lazarus, guys, Lazarus was dead, and God was not done with him yet. So as long as you have breath in your lungs, and maybe even if you don't, God is not done with you yet. He still has a plan for your life. And so if you have allowed the enemy to lie to you and keep you on the sidelines, not in the game of being God's masterpiece on display for the world to see, because you think your sin disqualifies you, even though you accept God's grace and his forgiveness, you think that it stops there. No, the old is gone, the new has come. Now it is time for us to get to work, to get in the game as God's masterpieces as Christian, because there are people out there who desperately need to enter into a transformational relationship with God. So I want to pray for all of us. Will you guys join me in prayer? Dear Lord, we just thank you for all that you are, God. We thank you for your grace, for your goodness. That's not something we can earn or deserve, and that you call us your masterpieces. God, I just ask that you would be with each and every one of us as Christians, as the church, collectively, worldwide, to begin to be better at leading a life worthy of our calling, to be masterpieces on display, to bring you glory and credit, and to tell a unified story of you, which is all about love. God, give us the wisdom, give us the words, put us on the path to what you have for us, to lead a life worthy of our calling, because you have done so, so much for us, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I also know 
But as I was speaking, there's some of you guys who wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, wouldn't consider yourself to be in a relationship with God. And if that's you, I have great news. It's the best news ever. And it's that you have a father in heaven, God, who is in desperate love with you, who is madly chasing after you and wanting to be in relationship with you so much that he sent his son Jesus on the cross or from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sins. And all you have to do to enter into that transformational relationship with Jesus is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you want to enter into that relationship with God, just repeat these words after me. In Elevation Church, everyone's praying together. Nobody's praying alone. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Please transform me from the inside out. I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for making me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, can we celebrate all those who made a decision to follow Christ today?